You set a grueling pace, stocked up on oxen, hunted deer, and yes, maybe even lost members of your wagon party to dysentery. (laughs) We've come a long way from the days of good old Oregon Trail. Gamification as an instructional technique has stood the test of time, and continues to evolve. Yet there are always detractors who don't always believe that games can lead to real, meaningful learning experiences. But given the way classrooms have looked over the last year, we as educators need to re-examine games as a way to re-energize our students' brains. If there's ever a time to explore the true power of play-based learning in a brain-friendly and exciting way, that time is now. And given how much we ourselves love games, this is the Guild to talk about it. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. Remember when you were a kid and recess was canceled and you were stuck inside? Or like when a substitute ended a lesson early with 10 minutes left in class? Are you fondly reminiscing about Heads Up 7-Up? Well, as fun as Oregon Trail and some of those other in-school games might have been, those aren't the games that we're going to be using to ground our discussion. Instead, as educators, let's identify some creative, gamified learning experiences for kids that increase agency, connection, and critical thinking, while also being challenging and fun. And let's not forget about adults, too. By the end of this episode, we hope that all of our listeners can level up with the knowledge of what makes games so effective for learning and learn some ideas for how to turn brain work for learners into play. So we're going to start out by talking a bit about what makes games and really a meaningful part of learning for everyone. We're looking at the work of James Paul Gee. Is it Gee or G? It is Gee, yes. University of Wisconsin-Madison. Sadly enough, I wrote it it grad school paper on his work. He's really great, but I actually never said his name out loud until today, so Guy. All right, anyways, James Paul Guy, researcher at University of Wisconsin-Madison, and as Casey says, godfather of game-based learning. He presented 16 principles of game-based learning and what makes them so effective. Let's kind of just run through a few as a guild and decide which ones we think are meaningful to learning and our experiences thus far. Well, I'm going to let Casey start off because this is her jam. As a guild, we love it. But Casey, you've really brought play into the work that we do and the work that we do with our teachers as they're creating and designing for students. Well, and a lot of that stems from my husband and I, we didn't have kids right away. So for about seven years, we were very much game focused people. So I have closets in my house just filled with games, random tabletop games. Brian's a big computer gamer. So games have always been a way that we've bonded with each other. So I've tried to work them into my work because of the way I feel about them and just the way that end users react to them. I think it's really powerful. So first and foremost, I think it's important to talk about agency when it comes to gaming. You as the game player are completely vested in the game that you are playing and you are playing it because you literally want to play it and you want to achieve the challenge. And we've talked about agency before in our own practice as coaches. So I think it's really important to reflect on if thinking about the games that you may have played in the past, how has agency played a role in it? 
So the next one that we have here is interaction. And I believe that interaction, as we've talked about before, is essential to student engagement. Humans are by nature collaborative beings. They want to connect with one another. And so when we are interacting, that engagement level is going to naturally be a lot higher than when we are individually working. And yes, there are some benefits to individual work and focus. But when it comes to that true authentic engagement, interaction is another one of those important factors to think about. Well, it gives you that third thing, especially if you're not super comfortable or you're building class culture and climate. Gaming gives you a shared experience to interact and to build a relationship or build a conversation to go off of. So yeah, I love that, that interaction concept. Mm-hmm. I think we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention the idea of risk-taking, that that's really hard thing, kind of like what you mentioned with building community, but also building a culture of risk-taking in a classroom isn't something that's very natural or quick. But one thing games does is it kind of speeds up that process a little bit. It allows users to feel like they are doing something a little bit lower stakes. A game doesn't typically feel like an assessment even if there's an assessment built into a game, it never really has that same feel to it because of the nature of playing. And usually with gaming, you can always, even after you're out of lives or something, you can just try again. It's the Super Mario effect. Have you guys seen Mark Rober on YouTube? Former NASA engineer loves to blow stuff up and make amazing giant super soakers. I mean, I'm well, obsessed he has- with his squirrel obstacle oh course. So <laughs> He's <good>. amazing. <laughs> but he years ago, he did this TED Talk about the Super Mario effect and the concept that if you gamify learning, it becomes more about the learning goal and less about the failure that it takes in order for you to accomplish a goal. So when you're having a conversation with your friends about Super Mario, you don't talk about, oh my God, I died 40 times. It's, I tried this so many times in order to beat this level and I did it and I wear it as a badge of honor. How great would it be if our kids felt that way each time they were learning a new concept? I just think that's... We talked about that in our failure episode, Mm -hmm. the power of risk taking and being willing to take risks. And I think gaming is another one of those outlets in order to encourage that, like you said, and to teach persistence and to stick with it. And it's okay to you're going to have to do it over and over again. And risk taking is essential to learning and to growing. That's true. I really do like that reframe that it's not about how many times you failed or died. It's about how many times you attempted and what eventually happened. What's the takeaway? It really puts the mental energy where it needs to be. So yeah, risk taking for sure. What's another one we have? Guy also talks about the best instructional or educational games allow for a certain level of customization. So based on where a user enters into a path on a game, they can say, I want it at this level, this level, or this level, or based on some sort of predetermined skill check, they're able to enter in a place in the game that best meets their needs. So I often think of playing Diablo with my husband, right? You always start at the super easy level with the monsters that are incredibly easy to beat, and you build up and become more powerful as you go through the game. So you do want to have either an easy, medium, or hard level or something like that that allows the user to customize the gaming experience. Well, and drawing those connections to naturally good instruction that's talking about differentiation and personalized learning right there yep 
Yep. So it just is a natural connection. Mm-hmm. The next one is a little funny sounding, but I think it ties back into the persistence we mentioned. A really good game is pleasantly frustrating. It's aggravating sometimes because you're constantly having to persevere through an experience, but because it's still an enjoyable experience, you're willing to do it. We're going to talk about in a little bit breakout edu. I see this with students all the time in breakouts. They are getting frustrated, but whenever you ask them, are you guys ready for a hint? They'll always say, no, 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 not yet, because they want that sense of pride and ownership of solving that problem. So we have one more left, and Casey's (laughs) going to do this one, too, because, well, I mean, I see in parentheses how it connects to SEL, but can you explain our very last one in this segment, the cross-functional teams? So what this means, this ties back into our very first episode, guys. It's each person has a role within a team. So it's kind of like that role-playing Dungeons & Dragons. Each person comes to the game with a certain set of skills And ultimately, your success in a collaborative game depends on what everyone brings to the game playing experience. And it allows you to build collaboration skills, critical thinking skills in an environment that's not siloed. So you're having to tap into a myriad of different skills in order to be successful. So that's what cross-functional teams mean. I need you in order to be successful, and I'm bringing something, and you need me, and I can grow as a collaborator by playing this. When we think of harmony for music, those are many different notes and instruments, and none of them are the same. They're all uniquely necessary to make this beautiful piece of music or that harmony. And if you are all the same, or it's all the same note, or there's no uniqueness to the different variety of roles, then you're not going to get that beautiful harmony. So uh, that makes sense. It does. And actually, if this episode was a game, Casey, I would give you some bonus points for bringing <laughs> guilds back into the mix. That's <laughs> nice. nice. Well, and, and we'll get to that when we get to some of our more active game references. You can challenge your students to engage in gilding up kind of thinking when creating their roles. And if they're participating in different games, but with the same team, it allows them to hone their skills as a team. So it's fun. And Emily, whether you like it or not, being the resident castle competency expert for SEL, social emotional learning, which ones does that connect to? Or is it all of them? Primarily, it's going to be social awareness, because that's the one where you're really developing in your awareness of other people, and your outreach and interactions with other people. So I'm thinking when we're talking about cross functional teams, that's mostly going to be social awareness. I mean, obviously, with Castle, there's a lot of bleeding between the lines of competencies, because in truth, your self management is always going to be part of every interaction you have as well, in terms of governing the decisions you yourself opt to make in any setting group or otherwise but social awareness is probably the biggie when we're talking about this type of situation bonus points to you right. <laughs> I, I was gonna me say to put you on this, the, the spot, but dang girl you knew that one welcome what to about the the episode where we start awarding points and just never yes, stop randomly. we're not gonna stop <laughs> isn't relationship skills about building consensus too when you're playing a cooperative game i always love cooperative games because then you're trying to beat the game itself and not any other particular player But to me, relationship skills are really key into building that consensus. Like, I think we should do this. You think we should do this. 
how are we going to figure out what the best course of action is? Yeah. I guess when I was trying to think of it, it was kind of weird. I, was, I wasn't totally thinking of it as always being that everyone is on the same team because there still is an art, too, for students learning to compete, how to be a gracious winner, how to be a gracious loser. I think that gaming definitely does bring some real SEL skill to a world of full of successes and failures that all of our students will come into contact with. And I do think that those are definitely going to be helpful for them. Another bit of text, or if you're looking for another book to convince you or a fellow administrator, if you're wanting to engage in more gamified learning in your classroom with your students or in your school community, Dan and Chip Heath wrote The Power of Moments. And within that book, it talks about how to create epic moments for kids. Epic, not just meaning a great activity, but it's an acronym that stands for elevating, how to change that user experience or that student experience, pride, how to give them a sense of celebration and yay, I did this insight, like some sort of wisdom about themselves, and then connection. Games also do that too. So if you're looking for other languages, and maybe James Paul Gee is it for you, definitely check out Dan and Chip Heath's book for more to try to get more gaming into your system. So speaking of getting more gaming into your system, our second segment is where we're going to start by sharing some ideas of different types of classroom games that can be played and the different benefits that they can have for our students. So I think we're going to start by looking at traditional classroom games. So Jenny, what's one that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, I'm going to start here with the brain break games. Those aren't naturally ones that you would think of that are necessarily related specifically to content but are extremely necessary. And it kind of is a good segue as we talked a lot about SEL. This is a nice, natural one to think of because especially with what we're seeing with the concurrent teaching or the hybrid teaching or there's remote learners or even if we were to get back to where we are all in person together again, kids and I would argue adults as well, anybody, there's times where you want to build in some of those brain breaks. And so when you do that, that's going to not only build rapport between classmates and friends and groups, but it's also going to give that, and it doesn't have to be very long, but if you have sustained engagement over a long period of time, it's not going to be as impactful on their learning if those brain breaks aren't incorporated into. So if you think of for every, what is it, 10 minutes? I think every... Eight, eight. Min- eight minutes, <laughs> yeah. there needs to be some kind of shift in the action or a brain break or something like that. It doesn't have to be a very in-depth game, but there needs to be something like a, a rock, paper, movement. scissor game or a movement or find somebody in the room that has this to pair up with. So those are the types of really mini games that are going to give those natural brain breaks and transitions between one instructional opportunity to another. And truly adults too. Adults need this Mm -hmm. too. This isn't just the brains of young people and kids. One of the first times I saw a lot of teachers smiling when they were stressed at the beginning of the year was when we played Hold Something Up in one of our professional development sessions. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Everybody grab something nearby, hold it up, and we'll have to decide what they all have in common. Yes. Somebody had a foam finger. That's always good. (laughs) My favorite were the selfie partners we did. Do you remember that? that Yes. Take selfies with people and then that's how you paired them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. Well, because then you actually have that physical artifact to remember who you said your thinking partner was going to be yeah. versus having to write red shirt. 
<laughs> there's something else mm-hmm. on there. What about you, Em? What's a traditional game that you have? You know what? I'm going to freak you all out by mentioning math games next. I was literally having a conversation with my sister earlier today. She actually has a master's degree in math, and she was talking about how important it is that math has moved in the direction of being more conceptual now, and manipulatives have taken a huge precedent in terms of how students are starting to understand math. It's not that same level of rote memorization, memorizing your times tables and things what it used to be when we were younger. All of the conceptual understanding of math is so visual and hands-on now that a game could really come in and illustrate some concepts. I was viewing a math game a while ago where they were working with fractions and dividing and fractions. It was a pizza restaurant. So they were Mm -hmm. like pretending to serve the little guy's pizza. And again, I think this is just such a nice way of visually or even in a digitally hands-on kind of way illustrating some conceptual concepts to kids that really could help some of these math concepts stick in their brains. Well, it builds that number sense. It mm-hmm. builds that pattern recognition. Especially, I've seen it right now with my four-year-old. A girlfriend printed out a bingo card with a whole bunch of different dice shapes. And we roll a dice. And he loves finding the numbers and covering them up. And he's developing that sense of what five looks like so that when he gets to adding five and four together, he'll be able to do that more quickly in his head because he has that number sense. So even simple games like that can really help build the foundation that kids are going to need later. It's so important. And even just anchoring things in real world connections. When you're playing something that's game based, it has a situational context. Because when math is not treated conceptually, I think it's sometimes hard to make those real world anchors. And I really like how gamification, particularly of math, using some of those game based manipulatives, can provide some real world anchoring of their knowledge and help them understand the why too. Mm-hmm. And I like that you point out the real world part, because as we see at the high school level, from when students start in that really young case, you're talking about your four year old, and they're doing mm-hmm. that number sense, and it's so wrapped up in play and imagination. And unfortunately, what we see as students age is that we get so darn serious <laughs> with yeah. the content. And if we don't bring in some of that fun or the real world aspect of it, then we're doing a disservice even to our adolescent learners. And again, we always like to throw in our adult learners as well. I think two other traditional kind of games that I've seen in a classroom setting, number one, in terms of world language study, when you've got vocabulary acquisition, there are a number of different games that you could use, but also a lot of tabletop games come in different language formats. So I've seen a teacher in my building using grant funds purchase Ticket to Ride in another language so that kids during extension or while she is working with a small group, those kids can play games and engage with each other in the target language so she can focus on a smaller group of students. And then also, when you're talking about expository writing, kids can invent their own games and craft those directions in a clear enough way for other kids to follow. So it kind of brings in some of that design thinking at the same time as you're practicing giving directions and expository writing. 
Okay, so I think moving on from traditional games, I think the next thing we really need to talk about is digital games. We're doing a lot of things digitally right now, so let's jump in. I think my son would be really, really sad if I didn't mention Minecraft first. I think that is such a tremendous game in terms of helping kids learn how things are made, the different formulas for how different things are built, and even just some of the structures that... My son is five years old, and he asked me to build an ice castle, and I tried. And then he built an ice castle. It had a chimney. It had working doors. Mine was like a box. It's incredible what they are able to learn yes. just by repetition, practice, drive, and excitement well, agency. about it. It's yeah. agency. They want to do it. When you're talking about an open sandbox sort of structure, the game is whatever you want it to be. And I giant failed at minecraft i still do but i have such respect for the amazing architecture and design and modeling that can come from that world completely astounding the fact that they can create electricity in that game blows my mind <laughs> and i will also endorse it here at the labrie household my seven-year-old is also obsessed with minecraft as well she loves it. And then on top of that, there is a neighboring high school where there's a student that had created their entire floor plan of their high school building in Minecraft. And the school leadership was like, this is actually accurate. So just to think of how they were able to apply the real world with this digital virtual world and make it so authentic and starting them young, thinking along those lines and building in the architecture is pretty cool. Speaking of additional world building games, one of the games that I remember fondly from my time as a teacher occurred in the middle of my instructional tech degree program. And we were challenged in a class to come up with a way that we could integrate a game in learning with our students. And I picked World of Warcraft in terms of the role-playing game. You have a character, you accomplish these challenges, and you just kind of go off and explore and go on a quest. While my seniors were studying hero's journey and hero literature. So I had them design a character in World of Warcraft, create, a, do a whole bunch of quest-based challenges, and write narrative blog entries based off of their character's experiences. And it, it allowed more authenticity, it allowed more vivid detail. One of my students who is incredibly quiet, she just came alive during that unit. I saw some amazing writing and it allows kids to kind of take what's in physically in front of them and really bring in more sensory detail into their writing because they're kind of quote unquote living it. Yeah. So, And what I like to point out here is in Emily, the case that you talked about that student and Casey in your degree program, as well as the tie that you brought into your classroom, all three of those were all choice based. Yeah. And there's that agency again. And so a lot of times what we hear when we're working with teachers is like, I just don't know how to infuse game or I don't know how to infuse play into my classroom. And a lot of times, it isn't necessarily that you have to plan out or you have to know Minecraft. Mm -hmm. Really what you just need to do is provide the choice and the space for students to explore those things and say, why not? Try it. Use a game that you know well. Bring it in and how can you apply that to the content that we're learning? So that is something that I just, as you were talking, want to point out because that's the heart of it. Without even, mm -hmm. I don't know Minecraft, but they can still figure it out and I can still put it in somehow into a choice-based blended learning activity, for example. 
I'm really glad that you mentioned that. That's a great point to make. I think if you're opening up the door for students to bring their own interests and their own skills in as a way of demonstrating what they know, sometimes they're going to bring in the games and they might Mm -hmm. know way more about the game than you. In fact, odds are probably. But as long as it still makes the connection and demonstrates the skill or knowledge that you're looking to get from them. I think a lot of times even just allowing students to pitch it like, okay, well, I've been playing this game and I made this connection and here's what I'm going to do to show it. Awesome. Please do. It's not all about what we craft and create for them. Sometimes it's just about opening the door for them to be creative and try it. It's creating the space for it. Mm Mm-hmm. So we have mentioned a bit about brain breaks and the need for a little bit more active play, especially right now. I think we do need to talk about active games as well. This is huge. Yeah. In terms of active games, these are the sorts of experiences where someone's getting up, someone's moving. And granted, yes, in a COVID world, that is becoming a little bit more challenging. However, there are still ways of doing that because you can also yes, be physically active, but more mental activity and creativity and part of the game player can be brought in here. I love, love bringing in escape room style challenges, whether those are with the breakout EDU game platform or using Google Forms and data validation in order for students to get a specific passcode. I have seen amazing thinking and collaboration and engagement anytime I facilitate or cooperate with a teacher to play those sorts of games. Awesome. Yeah, no doubt. The next one that we have on this list, I feel kind of bad even talking about it because I feel like this is another one of Casey's babies that we should just (laughs) let her talk about. So I'll again, I'll set it up. Casey can talk a little bit more about it. I'll spike it it over. (laughs) As usual. And so the life-size Candyland. Now, this is, if you listen to our previous episode with Kim Darshay, it was Kim Darshay and Lindsay Zilly, right? Yes. So they were the original creators. We want to give credit where at least maybe not of Candyland, but of like make bringing this to the educational platform, at least what we saw and bringing in a life-size Candyland board with all of the decor. And I'm going to let Casey talk detail wise, but it's been a blast. We've used it for some of our professional learning. And it's another one of those ways to connect content with a little bit of fun and goofiness. Yeah. So life-size Candyland or adult-size Candyland is super fun. The base supplies, if you remember how to play Candyland, it's a multicolored board or multicolored tiles and you pull a card and the player would go to the color that's represented on this card. And this is great for kids who can't read yet. So you could even, if you're talking about playing it with adults, great. If you could also take it down to kindergarten and you'd have a series of challenges and they can be content-based challenges or they can be SEL-based challenges. And again, kudos to Lindsay and Kim Darshay for sharing all of these resources. So definitely reach out to them on Twitter to get access to their Candyland directions and some of the challenges. But we used this sort of experience as part of our Epic Moments training we did in an effort to bring elevation, insight, pride, and connection all together. And I currently have a giant donut (laughs) in my basement just waiting till we can touch other people's things (laughs) It tapped into all of your craft-loving yeah, creative yes. design, giant, like <laughs> giant lollipop. What did you make out of plungers? Out of, <laughs> yes, 
so fun. But it creates that multi-sensory sort of experience that when our teachers walked in during our professional learning day two years ago or when our participants came back from lunch from that workshop, you could feel a different energy in the room. So yeah, Life Size Candyland is super fun. Super and fun. plus it gave us an excuse to eat all the candy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all the adults eating all the candy. Yep. And I love that one of the adults is like, can we eat the candy? Of course. Yes, it's not candy. here just because it's, right it's cute. Here. Please do. <laughs> it is. It's cute, part of the display. Please eat it. Yes. <laughs> And I think the last one, again, we're going to continue digging into <laughs> Casey's wonderful repertoire of game. Like, I literally decided we needed to do this episode because of Casey Veach. But, Casey, <laughs> let's talk about scavenger hunts. Yeah, this one, I remember learning about it three or four years ago. But until quarantine hit and I had nothing else to do with my three-year-old at the time, scavenger hunts really became a great way to, number one, hone powers of observation as we were walking or doing other stuff. But I brought it back most recently at a staff meeting to just try to get people talking about something other than how difficult our work lives were and just to reconnect with each other and just have some fun. So there's an app called Goose Chase. It currently, because of the FERPA and COPA issues, is not really accessible for students at this point, but it's great for adults or it's great for families. They have a preloaded list of challenges that you can assemble your own scavenger hunt. So some of the amazing Goose Chase banks have, what was it? Find someone that looks like you. Did they have to oh, do yeah, the doppel- the doppelganger? <laughs> the doppelganger one. <laughs> doppelganger or recreate a famous work of art using your Zoom screen. Love. <laughs> Chalk it up, which is write a positive message outside of your house, which is really hilarious if you think about the fact that we had at least two inches of snow out on the ground (laughs) forcing somebody to unshovel part of their driveway in order to write a message and what's great about the goose chase platform if you have an upgraded account is as the game is being played everybody can see everybody's submissions so again there's this shared sense of cross-functional team look at we're all working together even though we're not physically together there's that interaction there's that Mm -hmm. interaction again and i can say yep this met the challenge or nope it didn't meet the challenge (laughs) and i was able to reject some submissions which gave them a chance to try again you were the great powerful it was pleasantly frustrating (laughs) it was pleasantly frustrating (laughs) so and i swear when you put adults in a room together or even in their own separate spaces or in a virtual space together and give them a set of challenges Oh my gosh, competition reigns supreme. There were so many of them asking, who won? Who won? And they had assembled them into teams, and the ants won, and they were super excited that they won. (laughs) And again, there's that engagement, and it's that authentic engagement. How often, especially over the course of the last year, how many meetings have we had to attend where our engagement levels are like in the pits? So it's really nice when you can infuse some of that stuff in there too. These ones were specifically geared towards adult social-emotional connection. You can still make the challenges based on content, 
as well. So there is a way for you to create your own challenges that do tie in to the core learning or core skills that you're asking your students to do. So if you're an art teacher and you're asking your kids to study the different components of a specific period of time in art, you can do that as well. So these examples really were tied more towards the SEL pieces, but content can always be brought back into them. Mm-hmm. It's good that you mentioned that. And in truth, even though Goose Chase is a phenomenal platform, scavenger hunts don't all have to be fancy either. Sometimes it's just a matter of a list. And if you're one-to-one or even if each group has access to a device, just getting kids to snap like a photo scavenger hunt or just writing some words or answering some questions can just be a blast. It's just a way to really connect to the environment around you actively. And, and it makes something mundane into something completely different and special. I've got another one working on a scavenger hunt for springtime. So find an early plant based on what they've been studying, find an insect, but it's just getting people reacquainted to their surroundings to see things differently. Well, Casey, I'm going to out you a little bit because Anne as well the the guild, more more than we already have. So we often have to do late night recordings being parents of young children. It's pretty late. Before we started recording tonight, we're like, oh, we're so tired. (laughs) We're so tired. I mean, right now it's like, what, 934? And that's, it might as well be midnight for parents (laughs) of young children. (laughs) And Casey's like, I'm just so beat. But you know what? This this content, you wouldn't even know because you, you just love it and you're so good at it and naturally... It's just something that you've really brought to our professional learning and you've brought to this guild and something that I value so much more now, learning all that I've learned, the power of what gaming can do for the brain. And just like you said, I was so tired at the start of this. And because of being able to talk about games, the way it makes you feel, it's tapping into those amazing positive brain chemicals that just make you feel happy and good and energized and yeah they have such amazing potential and can help meet the diverse needs of all the learners in your organization so thank you that's so nice of you to say (laughs) i knew that was coming thank you (laughs) perfect All right, ladies, so let's share some takeaways with our listenership. And then, of course, would not want to end our game episode without playing our own games as well. So takeaways for today, I think we would first of all want to mention overall what the power of games are for our learners outside of the many different ideas of games we've shared. First and foremost, I would say reframing failure in a positive way. It's that idea what we mentioned before that you're not looking at how many times you tried and failed something. It's how many times did you try it and then what did you finally do to get it or even connecting with somebody else to find out how they got it. And that's actually the next one is that games really allow people to connect with each other too. Find out what other people are doing and work together towards common goals. What else? The one that kind of goes along with that failure and risk-taking is also getting that immediate feedback. There's something about games that provides really authentic feedback that you can then apply to try again. Or we mentioned that persistence, keeping at it. Based on the feedback that you're getting from your performance in said game, you are then able to become that assessment-capable learner as a result of the feedback that you're getting. And then, as always, there's the energizing power of competition. Even if that, like I said before, there are a number of games out there that are cooperative still while being competitive. 
So competition does have a tendency to energize people and gives us an opportunity to teach how to compete in a way that is still positive for all, whether you win or you lose. All right, ladies, so it is game time. I think this time we gotta actually like play for something. We've gotta play for points. So I think we're still gonna answer the questions in our game like we normally would, but I think this time I'm just gonna make myself queen supreme of, of game time here. <laughs> I am, I I am the, the judge and the the uh, overlord of this game. And <laughs> I'm gonna- Can decide. we overrule you at all? Mm, I think if yeah. we both, I think if we both like Congress if, rules, if you, right? You're, you're the president, I'm the House. Jenny's the Jenny's Senate, Senate, and we can overrule you. Sweet. And aren't these like points going to be really arbitrary? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it, going to be like whose line is it anyway? Whose line like, is it anyway? Or, like, yeah. and Casey's already working on a on a bonus. By the way, don't forget. So she's. Oh yeah, for, you had one too from the beginning of the game. <laughs> That's I gotta right. catch up. <laughs> yes. All right. So basically, as we answer these questions, I'm going to reward arbitrary points based on best answers, but I can be vetoed in unanimous decision from congress apparently checks and balances good job Gil. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> all right so first question for all of us what is a game that you have been addicted to playing all right i'll go first but sometimes i think ahead on these and sometimes i don't this one i felt like i needed to think ahead and here's why i couldn't think of anything that i was addicted to playing and then i stepped a little bit away from it and thought you know what we haven't really talked about the athletic part of games and what okay. that could be. And so, as I've mentioned a few times before, there was once in my youth where I played basketball all day, every day. And that was something that I would say I was addicted to. I spent hours in the gym and then I'd come home and I'd play in the driveway, just shooting basket after basket after basket. And that kind of goes into that immediate feedback we talked about and just trying to get better at something when you have a goal established. So that's mine. I have a highly addictive gaming personality. <laughs> like I often shocker. <laughs> I will often get into serious flow. I remember this isn't my addiction addiction one, but I remember playing World of Warcraft with my husband. You know, he's on one side of the room, I'm on the other, and we're engaging in a virtual world. And we would start playing at three o'clock in the afternoon, pre-children, and it would be like nine o'clock at night, like, holy hell, we didn't eat dinner. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> Probably, though, the most addicted game I ever played was The Sims. I would be up until like two o'clock in the morning working in my virtual job and getting money and of course I was like the cheater and I had the sims cheat where I had like an amazing house and still I had a job because you know you have to be grounded but <laughs> yeah so that was me and the sims how about you em Oh, this is a hard one because I go through games obsessively and I have to beat them and then once I beat them I leave them so it's like I don't really return back to games that I've already beaten but there is a company of older computer games Lucas Arts that they did the old point-and-click adventure games in computers and there was an Indiana Jones one there was like a pirate one it's an entire series of games so like I'm being terrible and not even answering the question so I'm not going to get any points here but I at least she's I'm, a fair all supreme overlord I, right right for now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I can't even pick one from this series. I just finished one called Grim Fandango, which was a ton of fun. And my kids even got into it. These games are, they have great storylines. There's a lot of comedy and or wit to the dialogue in these games. And 
there's a lot of just trying to figure things out and I obsessively play my way through as many of them as I can. So, yeah. You lost me at Fandango. Fandango. <laughs> it's not the movie theater. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So who's got the best answer? I'm going to say you and you're not eating dinner. So sorry, Jenny. <laughs> I think Veach romance of sitting on opposite ends of the couch playing together. Just creates such a picture. A match made in heaven. <laughs> I know. I love it. <laughs> But it was only that game. Like, this poor man loves video games. Wants me to learn how to play chess with him. I'm like, no, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) What's next? All right. It's a good old would you rather. So would you rather play eight rounds of trivia or a Dungeons and Dragons campaign? D&D all the way. Tell me a story. Tell me a story. Let me interact in the story. Especially if the Dungeon Master is really good. I try to watch Critical Role, and those <laughs> those podcasts are two hours long, and I often can't be connected, but I love listening to the Game Master and hearing and engaging in, in the story. So D&D for me all the way, and I suck at trivia. Suck. <laughs> suck. I'm laughing because... <laughs> As do I. I'm horrible <laughs> at trivia. I can't. I don't even know what color a banana is. I don't even know. Um, okay. That's an exaggeration. However, I'm terrible and no one would ever want me on their team, especially any of those like trivia team game nights. But I don't even know what Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I've heard of it. But again, I'm I'm lost. So I have to forfeit this one. Zero points for me. Are there, are there <laughs> negative points? Can I forfeit? Jenny. Negative five points for Jenny for a terrible answer. (laughs) No, I will give you two points of your own, though, if you can tell me what color a banana is. (laughs) There are several. It can be green, yellow, spotted, brown. ripeness. (laughs) Very good, Jenny. Two points for you. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for dumbing down the question for me. (laughs) You you brought it up. Just take it home. (laughs) Anyways, I'm the token trivia nerd. Dungeons and Dragons sounds fun, and it actually both appeal to me, but trivia night at pubs and stuff is a lot of fun for me. I like it. I was on a team that won second place. Unfortunately, we lost. Not because of me, though. So (laughs) Humble. She's humble, folks. I am very humble about trivia, as in not at all. Um, (laughs) No, I'm good at trivia. A couple people have told me that if they were ever on the show Cash Cab, that I would be the person they called if they didn't know the answer. So I take that as a huge compliment. I know a lot of totally random useless facts and will use them. I'd be, what is that, carpool karaoke? That would be my game. (laughs) And since we're working... You know lyrics, though? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I know the song well enough. Gosh, you guys are really calling me to the carpet tonight. Maybe (laughs) I'm to myself, too. (laughs) What's next? Let's move on. Oh, we're not giving anyone any points? I'm giving points. I thought I got negative points. I guess somebody has to <laughs> oh, win you that got, one. Oh, you got some points for bananas, but... <laughs> but you got I, banana I'm gonna points. Give, I'm going to give Emily 4,000 trivia points because she always wipes the floor with us when we try to trivia. play trivia on a house party. Thank you so. for making it so I didn't have to give myself 4,000 yeah, points because we've already talked you. about my lack of humility. <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> I second that motion. Yeah. All right. This is a good one. I like this question. So we're going to, this one's going to be worth a ton of points. What is a game you feel that everyone has played except for you? I'm losing this entire game. I'm just going to go right out there. So I'll go first. So another one of those I struggled with. So I'm going to go back the athletic route. I have never played soccer for all. I know. Look at Casey. If anybody (laughs) could see her face right now, her jaw just about hit the floor. Yeah. (laughs) 
I, I am the athlete of the group. I have played so many sports, but not soccer. I just wasn't. I've literally, I mean, maybe in a PE class once. I've never played soccer. I can't soccer. even believe that. <laughs> yeah. All right, what do you got? Wow. So I'm not really a card gamer. So like I love bridge, card games. Bridge or Bunko, not my thing. I just know they start with B and have a bunch of people in tables in rooms. Like that's about all I know. So I feel like a lot of people have played those games. I am very clueless about card games. I'm going to go board game here. And I have never played Risk. I, it feels to me like everybody has played Risk at some point or another. Or people talk about these epic games of Risk that they've had, and I've never been able to play it. I just don't think I have the attention span for it. And when suggested, I never took anyone up on it. So, no, never Risk. Oh, my God, my husband's going to kill me. He is that nerd who, in his office at work, in the corner during lunch, would have a <laughs> for a risk board set up and him and his best friend at work would play these expansive games of risk and i'm like why everyone <laughs> needs that kind of friend at work yes yes so he definitely had that so that's that's why my reaction of like <laughs> oh god it's risk <laughs> oh, sorry it's like chess but yeah we're not gonna go there just managed to avoid it, but apparently you have definitely not. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm going to give Jenny the big points on that one because really? that was just shocking. A shocker. That was yeah, a shocker. I cannot How many believe points do I get for that? 478. Okay, your goal will lead then. 478 goals because you never played goals. soccer. Yes. <laughs> Got it. 478 goals and you have 4,000. And two orange cones. Gold stars? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll take it. I got some practice. And I just I have 50 I points. <laughs> I've got like 4,000 trivia points. So, right, so, so Emily's well. in the lead and we have one question left. How yes. are we going to beat her? Let's figure this one out. <laughs> well, Which let's. It's very appropriate that this is our last question. Love it. Given that fact. This one's for all the money. Ever play a game? I don't think you're allowed to say this one. Have you ever played a game, not this game, that has almost ruined a relationship? <laughs> if so, tell us about it. Oh, I forget the name of it, but it's a game where like you're working in a team, but one of you is like a backstabber. Like one of you is a mole that's, I think it's rebellion, rebel, something like that. It's a card game. And you have to lie and say, you're not the rebel. It was me, my husband, my sister, my sister's boyfriend, and my, my brother and sister-in-law playing this game. And I was flat out sure that it was my sister who was the rebel because Brian was like, no, it's not me. It's not me, Casey. It's not me. It was him. I'm like, I don't feel like I know you anymore. <laughs> this sounds like it fosters relationships. <laughs> oh, it's brutal. It was, I'm like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Remember all that stuff we said about collaboration and connection? Yeah. Just drop all of that. Yeah. Yes. Would you recommend this one for the classroom? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Resistance. That was it. Resistance. The resistance. Well, there's been a lot of husband talk in this one, so I'm just going to go next. <laughs> <Just> for me. <laughs> so there was an epic Scrabble game. It was outside. We were playing on a picnic table. 
I can't remember what the word that we were trying to spell, but some nasty names came out of my mouth. I was <laughs> calling him an a-hole or something like that. That didn't go over well. I regretted it immediately. I was like trying to put it back in my mouth. And uh, let's just say we didn't finish that game. But, you know, we've played Scrabble since, so I think we've bounced back. Nice. And Emily, you got a husband story or is it somebody else? No, you guys are going to laugh at me too. So basically a childhood game of hide and seek. The way <laughs> the way hide and seek was played in our house basically growing up was an opportunity for my dad to lay down and take a rest. We didn't know <laughs> it at the time, but what he would do was basically he would hide down the hallway behind their bed and he would lay down on the floor with like a pillow and a blanket back there, but we just thought he was hiding. We would work our way down the hallway and we would get to call, like it was part of the rules, we'd get to call out noisemaker and me and my sister would be calling out noisemaker and then we'd work our way down the dark hallway and he would jump out and scare us and we would like run screaming down the hall back to my mom and eventually he managed to frighten us so many times with this game that it became a great opportunity for him to lay down and chill out for a while because we were too scared to go all the way down the hallway <laughs> so basically i wouldn't say it would ruin a relationship fight wise but we were too afraid to actually commit a single round of hide and seek with my dad and my mom we were always running to her mom save us and she's like i hate this game <laughs> my mom didn't like it because it was mostly just us screaming for help while my dad just laid down next to the bed so yes that was the game it's very out of left field but that's it so who wins emily <laughs> Well, I've noticed we've been competing for different things. Jenny, you've won some cones, some soccer goals, and several bananas. I have won <laughs> a bunch of trivia points, and Casey has won an entire D&D campaign. So <laughs> we are doing really well in our own rights, but I refuse to pit the guild against each other. So congratulations, lady. We're all winners. Welcome to the classroom. Oh, come on. All right, fine. It's me. I'm the overlord. Yeah. I win. <laughs> overlord. That's the way it's meant to be. Yes. So a taste for what's to come. Here's what we got coming up. We are going to be talking about the apathy zone. So when we think of the past year and where our heads are at, it's probably more than likely you've come across some people, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's your colleagues, maybe it's your husband, whatever, that have been pretty apathetic about Maybe it's work, maybe it's your own health, whatever it might be. There's a lot of apathy going on. So we're going to be talking about what that is and how to combat that or what are some strategies that you can do to help work through those kind of negative feelings. And then the next episode on the docket is the PLN potluck. So when you think of a potluck, what are you going to bring to the table? Is it going to be a tuna noodle casserole? Or are you going to bring chicken petrosini? Our- <laughs> right? <laughs> so our professional learning networks, what can they bring? What can they offer? Can you also contribute? And what do you take away? And what do you put on your plate? So be sure to tune in for those next two episodes. We'd love to have you. And that's a wrap on today's episode. It is our sincerest hope to advocate for adult learners, and we aim to contribute to this community with genuine conversations about education, leadership, and topics that matter to you. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie, using the hashtag GLGPodChat. We believe in the power of feedback, 
It helps us to keep growing and allows us to bring you quality and customized content. Subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for joining us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next Guild meeting. And in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.